Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Acts 14, down in verse 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visit of the Gentiles to take them out to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that, that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, 
Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, we've considered um, Paul and Barnabas' uh, first missionary journey, how they were at the church of Antioch, um, along with the other elders, and that the Holy Spirit called them out to, to, to go perform this ministry which, to which he called them to. And they went to, down to Cyprus, and then from Cyprus, they went up to Pisidian Antioch. And from Pisidian Antioch, they went down into that triumvirate of, of cities, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And from there, they returned back the same direction, except for when they got to Perga, they went over to Adelia. And from Adelia, they went to Antioch. But along that journey, as they, they traveled, they were able to witness the power of God working through them. That God did many mighty works and wonders, which we're, we'll mention in just a little bit. Many mighty works and wonders, and so just think of even what all happened at Paphos, and then what happened in Iconium with the, the, um, the healing of the cripple, just as an, for instance. But they also then got to witness the power of God in the, the lives of the Gentiles, as the Gentiles the gospel, and their lives began to change, and all of a sudden they began to see the, the church, the mystery of God that he had planned from the foundations of the world begin to, to come to fruition and begin to grow. But as they began to do that, they also saw the beginning of hardships, a foretaste of those hardships, which they would see. They began to be persecuted. Paul was stoned and left for dead, if you remember last week, right? But then the brethren came around him, prayed over him, and he rose up. From there, then they returned back over to Antioch. They give their report to the church of Antioch, and they continue to teach. But while they're at Antioch, and this is where we begin the, our 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 reading this morning, as Chuck just read, right? That while they're at Antioch, that dissension that they had noted in the synagogues and coming out of the synagogues over in Salamis and then in um, uh, Pisidian Antioch and then in Iconium, that same dissension from the Jews, they began to see in Syrian Antioch, the Antioch of Syria, which was their home, their home church, okay? So two Antiochs, try not to get them confused. You got Syrian Antioch, which is their sending church, and then you got Pisidian Antioch, which was where um, Sergius Paulus was from, if you remember that, okay? 
And so, so they're there. And so coming from Jerusalem, though, are those who are going to bring what turns out to be a dissension. Now, we'll talk about it in just briefly in a moment. But what I want you to get through all this is that in the midst of all this trial, in the midst of all this conflict that's going to, we're going to be looking, God is using the conflict to work his plan. Just as we watch God work his plan through Barnabas and Saul, who becomes Paul, by, by you know, Barnabas going to Cyprus because that's where he's from, right? And there they go down to Paphos. That's where they meet Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus gets saved. Sergius Paulus is the Roman proconsul. But Sergius Paulus, his estate, was up in Pisidian Antioch. And from Paphos, they go directly to Pisidian Antioch, I think, because Sergius Paulus asked them to go. Okay? And that's how they wind up in the middle of Asia Minor, up into the region of Basidia, and they go from there. That's why they wind up in Iconium and Derby and Lystra, and they wind up seeing all that. And so, so God is, again, showing how he is going to work overarchingly throughout all these circumstances. Okay, God has a plan, and God's plan is going to be accomplished God's way. Does that make sense? And so what is meant for evil, many times, God is using what? For good. Romans 8, 28 says what? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Okay? Do you believe it or you don't believe it? Okay. So when God allows conflict into your life, when he allows those trials, trials, those struggles into your life, okay? Now we're not going to get into all those here. Okay. We're going to be talking about a theological debate. But again, they had those. Up in Iconium, Derby, Lystra. They had them in, in Salamis. They had them in Pisidian Antioch. Make sense? When those things are happening, you always have to remember that God is what? He's sovereign. He's in control. Okay? And you've got to turn to him, look to him, seeking what his purpose in all this is. Okay? So we're in Antioch. And what happens? Well, we have this dissension. What's the reason for the dissension? Well, you have the arrival of what is classically referred to as Judaizers. That's a, an interesting term, but basically all it means is that these were individuals who were seeking to bring believers under the law to make them Jewish, if you would, okay? And so the primary thing for a Jew was the, the sign of the covenant, and the sign of the covenant is circumcision, okay? So they believed that every man then, because that's not clearly not the woman, right, that every man who got saved needed to be circumcised, okay, in order for them to be a part of the covenant, okay? Well, God wasn't ex extending Israel physically. God was doing a new work. This is the time of the Gentiles, as Jesus referred to it in Luke 24. This is a time when he's going to be unveiling his new work, and that is the church. He's going to return to beginning to work through nation of Israel later on. That's at the end of the time of the, of the Gentiles, okay? And we see that in, in the book of Revelation. And so, but for now, God's doing this new work. But these Jewish individuals, got, so you've got to remember, they're living it out. They're, they're in that moment, okay? And so if you were living in that moment, what would you be thinking? Okay? So um, we're told when they go to Jerusalem that they're, they're from the sect of the Pharisees, okay? And so what do you know about the Pharisees? What's one, one big thing that's about the Pharisees that they believed? They got a lot of rules, okay? They, they had a lot of rules, okay? That's true, okay? But why? Say it again? They knew 
they knew the law, but go deeper into that. They knew the law because they believed that the Bible, the Scripture was the Word of God. Okay, They believed that the Bible, the Scripture, was the Word of God and that it was to be taken literally. And so because they believed that the Bible was the Word of God and it was taken literally, they knew the law because they knew that they were to be um, to keep the law. They, they missed the part of grace, okay? But for them, they understood the law and they wanted to do the law. Now the problem is they began to add to the law, okay? And so that's where you said they had a lot of rules. They had a lot of laws. God had so many laws, but then they added laws on top of the laws, right? Because according to Rabbi so-and-so and according to Rabbi... And, you know, what does it mean? You know, well, even if she burns the toast, you can get rid of her, you know, type thing. And so they, they had all these things that were built up on top of each other, okay? So, but they believed in the resurrection, Okay, so what I'm doing is bringing out some of these things that I want to make you kind of nervous because you believe these things. Does it make sense? Back in the day, if you were as you were, you potentially would be a Pharisee. It wasn't wrong in that day to be a Pharisee. The thing about being a Pharisee that made it wrong was you became self-righteous. That's what Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers about. That outside they were clean, but inside they were what? Full of dead men and bones. Make sense? Okay. So, so you need to understand. So some of these Pharisees, a lot of these Pharisees are getting saved. Some of them aren't. But a lot of them are getting saved. They're accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because they understand from the law, from the word, that God had revealed that there was going to be a Messiah coming. As they begin to see this play out, they're starting to receive it. But in their day, in their understanding, they're still Jews. And this is still a Jewish Messiah who came. Yes? And so... Back in the, in, the, in the Old Testament days, if you as a Gentile, I as a Gentile, would, would come, we would become a proselyte to Judaism. Do you know what you do? You get circumcised. When Abraham circum, uh, received the, the, the covenant, he, um, he circumcised everybody, all his servants. Okay? Moses had to circumcise himself and his sons. Okay? God said he was going to kill him if he didn't do it. And so his wife Called him a, a, a husband of blood because of it. Okay? So circumcision was a big, 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 big deal. That's why Paul spends so much time about it in Romans chapter 3, 4, 5, talking about the whole the, the concept of the circumcision. Okay? And so we understand today the circumcision is a circumcision of the heart, okay, not of the flesh. Okay? Um, but for them, it was a big deal. Now, circumcision then was just a sign that they were going to be placing themselves under the Mosaic law, okay? So these individuals came from Jerusalem up into Antioch, okay? And again, I'm not going to judge their motives. I don't know what their motives were, okay? But let's give them good motives for a moment, okay? Because they believe, this is what they believe should happen, okay? And I'm going to submit this to you when we get to Jerusalem, that potentially James is of that mindset as well. There are good men who are of this mindset, okay? And so... So they come up and they go, well, this is exciting. This is great that Gentiles are getting saved, but what? They need to be circumcised. They need to bring, bring themselves under the, the law of Moses. Well, all of a sudden, Paul's there in Barnabas. Okay? Paul has been given this ministry by God himself. And he understands the gospel as it is. And he has watched God do a mighty work in the lives of the Gentiles, apart from what? Circumcision. <laughs> you get it? Okay. And so we're told then there was no small what? Dissension. There was a, there was a, a, a battle that went on. Okay. And so um, what did they do about it? Well, the resolution. First thing is there was a disputation. Now, I want to, 
When we read this sometimes, we can say disputation and take this as a negative. But disputation, susatesis, um, is actually a term referring to like a debate. Okay? I want to bring it out because it's important. You're going to see it again later when you get to Jerusalem. It comes from the word zatao. Zatao is the word, Greek word to seek, to search for. Okay? Soon is the is the preposition which means with. So like have a sunogoge, synagogue, to come together with. Okay? Do you understand? A symphony with one voice, in, in one voice, okay, with a voice. And so a su zetesis, okay, is a searching together for, okay? And so there was a debate, and it probably was a heated debate, but the goal of the debate was to search out the truth. Okay? Does it make sense? That who's right? We both can't be right. You either got to be circumcised or not circumcised. There's no middle, like half of you needs to be circumcised, and the other half doesn't have to be, so it's okay. We can find a common ground. You can't find a common ground. You either do or you don't, right? And so they're, they're trying to find what it is. So what did they make the decision then? Their decision was they would appoint a group to go down to Jerusalem to the elders and the apostles that were there and to seek wisdom from them. Now here's a bit, this is a, I just want to challenge you. I mean, I know we don't live in that day, but I want you to be thinking about what would we do as an, as an assembly if there was, had a debate? Make sense? I mean, so today we have what we believe, okay? And you can go on the web and you can find our whole doctrinal statement that's there. And there's a reason for that. Because in our day, there are a, a thousand and one different belief systems that are out there, okay? And so we want to be fair, free advertise, fair advertisement, not free advertisement, but fair advertisement. You know, you go to a lot of church, and I'm not picking on other churches, but I hate when I go to a church site and they just tell me, well, we believe in Jesus, we believe in salvation, we believe in love, and boom, that's it. Now, I'm, I'm minimizing, okay? But they're going to tell you five things, six things, whatever, and that's it. I, I want to know what you really believe. Do you believe in a six 24-hour-day creation? Or do you believe in a long day? Do you believe in evolution? What do you believe? And you say, ah, but Steve, you'll tell me, right, about the times you were looking for a church, and there were churches you went to that believed in evolution. They believed in a long day. They don't got to tell you that on the site, but you get into a Sunday school class, and that's all something they start teaching, okay? It's important for people to know what you believe. But what if there's a question? And we've had those in our, in our, in our time as, as assembly, okay? Someone may come in, and what do you do when you have this challenge? Well, back in that day, they had the apostles still living. Make sense? I mean, it's kind of like saying, yeah, I got Peter, James, and John here, but I don't want to talk to them about it. We'll figure it out on our own. It doesn't matter what they think. Well, no, they're still there. It really does matter. Let's go talk to them. Well, James wasn't there. Um, he was already beheaded and gone. But the others are there, so we're going to go, and we're going to send a contingent. But note the contingent that they send. They don't just send Paul and Barnabas. They send others as well. I think the others as well are the ones who are leaning to the, the circumcision way. Okay, Because I want to go back to something I challenged you with a week or two ago um, as we're going through this. You're the church of Antioch. Okay, And all of a sudden, you've got Barnabas who shows up, right? And he starts teaching you. And he realizes he needs more help. So he goes to Tarsus and he brings this guy named Saul. He's not Paul yet. He's Saul, right? So Saul of Tarsus brings him. And all of a sudden, they start teaching you some doctrine that may be slightly a little bit different than the Old Covenant. Do you understand? 
And it seems all true. Everything's going good, right? And so you've accepted that. And these, you send these guys out, and, and they come back with this glowing report of all this stuff, this wonderful stuff that happens. But now all of a sudden, you got these guys from Jerusalem show up. So who, where's Jerusalem? What's Jerusalem? It's the center of the what? The church, right? And these guys come from Jerusalem, and they're saying, no, the Gentiles need to be circumcised. That ought to cause you to spin just a little bit. Whoa, wait a second. It really seems like Paul and Barnabas are what? Well, right, we thought, but now all of a sudden it seems like maybe they're wrong. Maybe we're being led astray. Maybe we have accepted false teaching. You don't put your hand up, but I want you to think this in your heart. When that Jehovah Witness or that Mormon comes to your door, now I know it's false, okay? But for years, I've, I want to know God's truth, right? I want to know his, and I want to follow truth. God, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of what? Truth, truth. So when they leave, I go back and I read Isaiah 40 to 48 again. And I, and I, God, you are, Jesus, you are Yahweh incarnate. You are the one who came. You're the one who created all things. There is no God but you. There is no God before you. There's no God after you. You alone are the one true God. But I want to go back to God's word, and I want to remind myself what I believe, why I believe it. Does that make sense? If someone comes to your path, and they're going to tell you something different, if you're, do you really want to know truth? Because what if you're wrong? For 23 years, I was wrong. For 23 years, I played the game. Now, I get it. I grew up and I went to church every Sunday, right? Pretty much every Sunday, probably 99% of them, okay? And, and even after, again, I shared this last week, even after we got saved, Marge and I weren't, or no, I'm sorry, after we got, saved, after we got married and came down here, we weren't saved. But we still went to church. Why? Because that's just what you did on Sunday. And then I found out by reading God's word, because someone challenged me to read God's word, reading God's word that I was condemned to go into hell. I was living according to my own self-righteousness. I was trusting in my own works. And I wasn't trusting Jesus Christ. This doesn't matter as a side thought, you know, why do you even mention it? But I don't believe Jesus died on a Friday. I believe he died on Thursday. We can talk about it. It's a side subject. We'll talk about it later. Okay? But I'll die for that. I'll die for that. It's truth. Now, I don't care what you believe on it. It doesn't matter. But I remember, it was a traumatic moment for me when studying God's word, I came to understand that. I struggled because all my life, now I wasn't 23 at that time, and now I'm in my 30s, okay? So all my life, I believed that he died on what? Friday. I mean, celebrate a good Friday. I got my first communion on Holy Thursday, you know? I mean, you have all this kind of stuff as you go on, right? And so, again, you don't have to believe that. But I, if you're interested, I can show it to you. Anyways, and so, but I had to make a decision. What do I believe? Am I going to believe that which I've always held to, or am I going to believe that which I see in God's Word? Does it make sense? So this is the, this is the key that I really want to do really hammer home today, okay? A lot of the details, that they're fun, but they're just details coming through this. The big thing is how they handle this This. This, this conflict of theology. How did they come to what they believe is truth? Because you are sitting here as a result of the decision that was made in this passage today. What you believe is a result of these guys from Antioch searching for truth. 
and not necessarily accepting what everything Paul and Barnabas said, but verifying and validating it. So they send this group to Jerusalem. Again, not just Paul and Barnabas, but some others. And I think they were probably others of the other stripe, right? So they can go, and they know they're going to get the truth coming back. So there's this discussion in Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem, and the scenario is you've got the elders and the apostles meeting. Well, before even the elders and the apostles meet, we already know that the church is already discussing this, right? Because the, 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 the followers who were from the, the believers who were from the background of the Pharisees, they're saying, no, they have to be circumcised. They're impassioned about this thing. You would be too. You'd be impassioned if that's what you really believed. I mean, I'd die for six 24-hour days. That God created the earth in six 24-hour days, and the seventh day he rested. I, I, there's no budge on it. I grew up believing in evolution. That was, again, a major decision for Bob, okay? What am I going to believe? Am I going to believe God's word? Or am I going to believe everything I've been taught, okay? So I'd die for that right now, okay? And so, so these guys, this is what they always believed. They believed it was in God's word. I'll die for it, is what they're thinking. So the apostles and the elders held a council together. And they received the evidence. And so, again, there was much then disputation. Same exact word, zoosotasis, okay? So, again, they were searching for the truth. I don't think there was just a fight and a battle going on between the apostles and the elders. I think there was a, 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 a disputing, a, a debate going on. The pros, the cons. What, is, what do we know about this? What do we know about this? What are, the, what are the positives? What are the negatives? What do we know about from God, okay? And so we read, then, as this was going on, there were two speeches that were given. The first speech was by Shimon. We know him as Peter. Now, I'm going to say Shimon because it comes back to Shimon in a moment, okay? But Peter recounts, first of all, God's work, okay? And as he stands up, everybody's silent, and he says, guys, you know, first of all, that God chose to open up salvation to the Gentiles by me. The focus to this point, I think, is on who? Paul. Who used to be who? Saul of Tarsus. Who used to be who? A Pharisee. Give me more. Say again. The persecutor. He was the persecutor of the church. He was the one who was trying to destroy the church. Isn't it just possible that he's brought in false doctrine to destroy the church the other way? He said, oh, no way. Well, if I'm back in those days, I mean, I'm the kind of guy that goes into a bank and tries to figure out how I can knock it off. Not that I'm going to knock it off, but I just kind of I want to analyze this. My system's analyzed, you know? And so this is what I'm, I'm going to look at this kind of stuff. I can imagine me sitting there in those days saying, you know what, what would be a great way to derail God's work? Teach false stuff. Isn't that what Satan likes to do? Isn't that what we just talked about with Mormonism in Sunday school? Okay, how they take some truth, they mix it in with a little bit of air. Makes it a lot of bit of air, makes it untruth. Does it make sense? And so Paul warned us that there would be false teachers coming in. Jesus warned that there would be false teachers coming in. Well, maybe Paul's the first false teacher. If you talk to a messy, uh, I want to be careful because umbrellas. Years ago, previous church, we had a messianic group wanting to use our facilities on a Friday night. Didn't have a problem with that. I've been to messianic congregations, love it. 
The negative is the, the total focus on the law and that kind of stuff, but there was beauty in it, and I loved it, okay? So this one group wanted to use our facility, but one thing I want to ask them is about the law. Are they just appreciating the law, or are they under the law? And so I asked them, I said, so this is Shabbat, and you want to worship at the beginning of Shabbat. And yes, indeed. I said, so what are you going to do with those who are worshiping on, on the first day of the week? I believe God will give you a chance to repent at the judgment seat. That was the answer. And I saw. So what you're saying is that the ones who are meeting on the first day of the week aren't really saved. Yes. I said, well, what do you do with Colossians? I mean, it was barely coming out of my mouth, Colossians. He knew where I was going to go. I hate Paul! I've seen that gnashing of teeth. He was gnashing teeth at Paul. I hate Paul! He shouldn't even be in the Bible! He's a false teacher! This is today. Not today, today, but like 20 years ago today. In the United States. People are still there. I said, well, what do you do with Peter? You know, because Peter says in 2 Peter 3 that the writings of Paul are scripture. Conversation was over at that point. And so... Yeah, I mean, it was done. I mean, he, he hated me at that moment. I mean, I was, I was dog meat. And, and I had to ask him to leave. So, but that's the fact, okay? I mean, so, same concepts is there. Paul, we don't know about. Peter, Shimon, stands up. And Peter's first thing he says is, guys, you know that it was through me that God chose to bring salvation to the Gentiles. It wasn't the other guy. Remember when we went through it? I said this is going to come into play later on. Very important moment, okay? God sent Peter to Caesarea to Cornelius in a miraculous, mighty way. And then, and then Peter says, God authenticated the salvation of the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit. And he gave him the Holy Spirit. Remember this from Acts 10? He gave him the Holy Spirit in the exact same manner as it fell out on us at Pentecost. So God, God authenticated. What's the third thing that God did? He made no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles at that moment. He didn't have Peter, of all people, Shimon, Peter, right? Simon Peter, say to Cornelius at that moment, and now that you're saved, you and your household need to be what? Circumcised. Get it? He knew it right then and there. These guys are what? Saved. No need for works. No need for fulfillment of the law. They're saved. By what? By faith. By faith alone. Faith alone. Faith alone. Again, this is Peter. Last thing we see is that God then purified their hearts by faith. God purified their hearts. They didn't purify their own hearts. They didn't have to do all these other works to purify themselves. There was no cleansing of themselves. They didn't have to go to the temple. They didn't have to dip in the mcleys that were there in the southern part of the temple. They didn't have to do any of this stuff. They got baptized, baptizo. They got immersed, dipped, dunk, immersed in the name of Jesus Christ at that moment. But they didn't have to go to the temple for the spiritual cleansing and all that kind of stuff. There was no other cleansing that had to happen. When they accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross for their sins, they were saved instantly and they were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. 
Amen, indeed. And that's the exact same thing that happened for this Gentile. And as I look around, I don't know if you're a Jew or not, but I'm assuming every one of you are Gentiles, okay? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it hasn't changed. But even if you were a Jew, and we've had Jewish people in the congregation, it doesn't change for them. Salvation is the same manner. It comes the same way. It still doesn't come by the law for a Jew. It's by faith. For the Jew first, then also to the Greek or the Gentile. So then he rebukes the Judaizers at the end of Renaissance. So why are you periosoming God? Okay, if you've been here long enough, you understand the word periosmos, okay, is, is the word for a troublesome situation. In James chapter 1, it is the word that's translated as trial when you fall into diverse kinds of trials. But it's also, in verse 14, the same word that is blessed as a man who endures temptation. So a periosmos is a troublesome situation, which is either a trial or a temptation. It all depends on how you respond to the periosmos. But that periosmos is also going to reveal, like we talked about last week, with the thlipsis, the, 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 the hardships that you're going to go through, right? God uses those to reveal, okay, dakimos, whether you are genuine or adakamas, not genuine. Okay? And so the word dakamas, dakamitso, is, is the word for, like, if you have gold, you're an assayer, and you're going to put the acid test on it, and you're going to determine whether it's what? If it's real or if it's ferrous oxide. Anybody know what another term for ferrous oxide is? Fool's gold. Because it looks like gold, but it doesn't pass the test. Okay? So, so same term, same concept going on. And so Peter then turns around, not Peter, I mean, not Paul, but Peter turns around to these Pharisees and he says, so why are you periosmosing God? Why are you troubling him? Don't put him to the test. The picture is what we did to him in the wilderness. When he led us through the Red Sea into the wilderness, Go back and read Exodus and Numbers. How many times they tempted God, they tested God, they tried God. They refused to accept what God was doing. So you got a Jewish guy talking to Jewish guys. You understand? And he's using Jewish concepts to him. Why are you doing this again? Don't do this. And in doing it, you're not only troubling God, but you're also troubling Gentiles. And you're trying to put a yoke on them that you can't even wear yourself. You can't do the law. So why are you trying to make them do the law? This makes no sense. Paul and Barnabas stood up. And we're just told in one quick verse that they recounted the miracles and wonders that God did on this trip. It said it was silent as they were speaking. I imagine it was. They were just rebuked by, the, by Peter. And now all of a sudden they're hearing about Alamis, Bar-Jesus being blinded on the Isle of Patmos, right? Or Patmos, I'm sorry. Um, say it again. Cyprus, thank you. And, um, and how Sergius Paulus, the, the Roman proconsul, got saved and, and transformed. And he, I think, again, I'm reading in between it. Sorry about that, but I can't help but do it. 
sending us up. He wanted to see his whole family come to know Christ, you know. And we go up there, and, and, and we see all this wonderful stuff, and we get to Iconium, and, and here's this crippled guy. And, I mean, this resonates with everybody there because they're going to know about the cripple from Jerusalem, right? It was 40 years, and how this crippled guy gets saved, and da-da-da-da-da. And, and everybody's just full of wonders what's going on. But in the midst of all this, then, James, the brother of Jesus. So this isn't James, the brother of John. James, the brother of John, was beheaded, remember, earlier in Acts. This is James, the stepbrother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, whatever, you want to, whatever the proper term is there. Same mother, different father. The James who didn't believe in Jesus before Jesus died and was resurrected is now a believer and is now well-respected and apparently is the chief among the elders in Jerusalem. He's not an apostle. I want you to understand this. He's not an apostle. So it wasn't an apostle who stood up to make this decision. This is huge. Transition of leadership has already started in the church of Jerusalem. James stands up. And James summarizes, brings everything together, melts it all down, and he declares a decision. Now, note, first of all, the basis for the decision. What he talks about is the testimony of Shimon. He doesn't refer to him as Petros, Peter. He doesn't refer to him as Cephas, which is the Hebrew version of Petros meaning rock. He refers to him as his Jewish name. Peter was. When Jesus first met him, he was Simon. But from now on, you will be called Peter. While in the Hebrew, he was Shimon. That's who he was, Shimon. And so James refers to Shimon. We all heard when Shimon stood up, and shared what God was doing. It's very interesting to me. I heard everything Paul and Barnabas said. Okay, whatever. But man, when Shimon stood up, when Shimon said what Shimon said, that meant everything to me. So I kind of think James was probably in that, he was a Jew. He was a Jew. He was a nationalistic Jew. Make sense? And so the Pharisees had a lot of clout. So the decision he's going to render is going to go against the grain of many people in that church. But it was Peter's or Shimon's testimony which had the weight. It's still, again, like I shared about that guy who, who didn't like Paul. It's still Peter's testimony that is huge. Paul wrote most of the epistles that we follow, but it's Peter's acknowledgement of him in 2 Peter chapter 3, where he says that Paul's writings are as the rest of scriptures, that he certifies the writings of, of Paul. And in one of those Paul, one of those letters, the Galatians, Paul even talks about how he had to rebuke Peter face to face. So this is a huge deal that Peter's is validating everything that Paul was writing. Peter's the one who validates it here in the, in the Jerusalem council. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and Shimon's testimony is consistent with Scripture. 
And then he quotes from the book of Amos. Now, I challenge you to go to the book of Amos if you haven't done this already to check this out. I mean, did you, looking at it ahead of time, if you go to Act, or Amos 9, okay, you're going to find that it's not like it in your Bible. You're going to say to yourself, whoa, what happened there? That makes no sense. It's going to show you that the Septuagint was already being used prolifically um, in the church. The Septuagint, you say, what's a Septuagint? It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. So again, the world language at the time was Greek. And so um, one of the Antiochuses um, wanted... I don't want to say it because I'm going to mess this up. But it wasn't, it was one of the Seleucids, I think it was one of the Antiochuses, that wanted it translated for him. And so there was a group of them that got together, and they, because and he was Greek, right? And so they translated the, the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek. And that's how it kind of originated, okay? And so there were 70 of them, 70 scholars who got together to do that, and hence the word Septuagint. Um, and so. Anyways, so they were using this Greek translation. So if you go to the Greek translation and you look at it, it is exactly as you read it in, um, in, in the book of Acts about how it'll come to all mankind. And how this plays out, so if you read your version, it's going to say to Edom, right? Did you, anybody pick at it yet? Okay, it says Edom. Yes? Yeah. Okay, and so it all comes down to this little Hebrew word. Um, in, in Hebrew, you read from right to left, so it's Aleph, Daleth, Mame. Aleph, Daleth, Mame. And so, um, Gerard, I'm going to pick on you, since you're the, the Hebrew linguist. Apart from having any vowel pointings, because there's no vowel pointings there, right? Would you know whether that was Edom or Adam? He wouldn't. Because both Edom and Adam have the exact same, that's exactly the same word. Okay? The difference is the vowel pointing. The Masoretic text wasn't created until the 600 ADs. Okay? And the reason it was created was because they were starting to lose the oral tradition because it was passed down, the, the Hebrew for real. So you go back to Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, where they're sitting in a house, where they're walking away, where they're lying down, and where they're sitting up, right? For real, that the, the dads, the men, were supposed to memorize the word, Figure this one out, because you didn't have Gutenberg yet, right? And, and, and you got scribes who were writing it, so, so having scrolls was precious. So how is it going to be passed down? By you memorizing it. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of God, nor stands the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in the sea of what? Season, whatever he does shall prosper. At least shall not wither, and what he does shall prosper. The idea is that you would memorize God's word, and you would hide in your heart so that you could teach it to your children. No matter where you were, no matter what time of the day it was, you were constantly inculcating the word of God to your kids so that the next generation would know the word. They failed to do it. That's what we read in the book of Judges. Two generations arose, they knew not God. Why? Because they failed to continue to pass down God's word. Okay, so oral tradition. So the problem then is you don't know by looking at that what I'm talking Edom or whether I'm talking about Adam. Adam is the word Adam, you no know, Adam, but his but Adam really just means man, 
mankind in general, okay? The general, so ish, man, man, isha is a woman, okay? But Adam is just mankind, it's just people, okay? So you don't know that. So based upon, so they're quoting from the Septuagint, and so when the translators, the Jews, who were translating the Hebrew into the Greek for the Septuagint, they believed it meant mankind, not Edom. The, 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 you track? Okay. So, so be careful. So I'm not telling you there's problems in your Bibles. What I'm saying is you need to have wisdom in understanding how all these things play together. Okay. So, but he goes to that passage and he says, so this is consistent. What we're hearing is God has always had a plan. And yeah, I could go to more than just Amos. I go through many passages from Isaiah and stuff like that, okay? So it's not just like, oh, well, what if that passage is wrong? Now, there's, there's tons of passages that are in, 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 in the Old Testament that are going to tell you that God was opening up the gospel to the Gentiles, okay? But this was consistent. So what they did was they said, okay, I hear this testimony, but still the testimony could be what? False. Or it could be false spirits. It could be whatever. But this is consistent with God's word. So I ask you again, the question, when people come to you, when a Jehovah Witness comes to your door, I mean, this is a no-brainer, I'm setting up a straw man, or a Mormon, right? I mean, are you going to compare it against God's word and say, is what they're saying true? Well, say, okay, well, fine, that's easy, that's, that's a no-brainer. Well, is it? Can you prove to me today that Jesus is really God? Can you show me in God's word, show me that Jesus is really God? You need to be, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that's within you. That's the main hope that you have is Jesus is God because he, because he is God, he is perfect. Because he is perfect, he was a perfect sacrifice. Because he was a perfect sacrifice, your sins are paid for. If he was just a man, he's not perfect. He was born in sin. Do you get it? It's huge. Big, big, big deal. And you ought to be able to prove this. Okay? So they went to the scriptures to find out whether it's really true. Well, it was consistent. So he says the testimony of Peter is consistent with God, what God has revealed in his word. So he puts out then the content. First of all, we shouldn't trouble the Gentiles, right? But the second part is the one we know about. We should encourage the Gentiles toward basic separation. This is called classically the Noahic covenant. Why? Because if you go back to the days of Noah, he wasn't under the law. But there was an understanding, okay, that God had moral principles. And so when you go back there, these principles that they're applying are what was applied to the world at that moment. It was in the day of Noah, when he came off, that God gave man permission, permission to eat meat. Man was eating meat before the ark, but they didn't have permission. It was in the garden they were told to eat what? The vegetables. But God gave, him, gave, gave us permission after the, the ark to eat meat but not to eat it with the blood in it, okay? And so not to, not to eat things that are offered unto idols or not to worship idols. Well, that makes sense because you should have no gods before. I mean, so that's a, a consistent thing, okay, that God was the only one to be worshipped, period. Everything else we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, behind every one of those idols is a what? Is a demon. Is a demon. Yeah, not just a false god, but every false god is really a demon, Okay, which is a, was a which is an angel which fell. Okay, and so it's a it's a work of Satan. Okay, so there's no such thing as other gods. Buddha is not another god. It's just a demonic representation on the earth. Are you, you're tracking with me? Okay, it's a big deal. Okay, Satan is deceiving people through these other gods. So there are no other gods. And so um, I, that was just going to come up. Okay, so abstain things offered unto idols. 
that have blood in it or that they've been strang- uh, strangled in, in from sexual immorality. Wow, bring that into church today. Well, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't worship idols. I, I, I'd struggle with a lot of people and say, well, let's talk about that one. I think you really do. Because if you put anything before God, it's an idol. Okay? So, in fact, in the Hebrew, with that, you know, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, it doesn't say that in the Hebrew. Literally, what it says in the Hebrew is, in my presence. So the before me is, like, in my face. You shouldn't have any other gods in my face. Okay? And so that's, what he's, that's what's being declared there. So I, you should have no other gods, period. Jesus said you can't serve two gods. You're going to choose one and not the other. You can't choose God and mammon, and mammon is the Greek word for things that money buys. We bring it into our vernacular as materialism. You can't serve materialism. What's the God of the United States? Materialism. You've got to be careful. You know, we can sit there and say, oh, we haven't got these idols. No, we do, all around us, all the time. Just go to Walmart. Just go to Home Depot. Just go to Lowe's. Just go to the Belks. Just go wherever it is, okay, the car store, whatever, and you have all these idols that are there that take precedent over God, okay? So James says, if you keep yourself from these, you do well, okay? I'm not going to go into these passages, but as a whole, when I talk to people about separation, too many times the question is asked by the church today is, why can't I do that? I, I have freedom. I have, I, I have liberty. Why can't I do that? Rather ask the question, why should I do that? What benefit? So all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things edify. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are profitable. That's what's being stated in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 10. So the, answer, the question shouldn't be, why can't I? The question should be, why should I? What profit is there in, for you to do that? You want to you extend your, your liberties? Why? That passage in Hebrews 12 says, without holiness, no one's going to see God. Again, Peter declared, be holy. This is what God desires for us, to be holy even as he is holy. He brought it right over from the Old Testament into the New Testament. God's desire for me is to be sanctified. Not to use them as fire insurance. So, I want to challenge you on that one quick. So, we get to this final thing real quick. Declaration by James. What do we see? Again, it's initiated by the elders. So, the elders come together. They formulate this letter based upon what James said, they must have all said what? I concur, I concur, I concur, I concur, I concur. But it's formulated by the, the elders, right? They want to tell everybody, look, these people came out, but they didn't come from us. They weren't from us. But this is from us, okay? So it's initiated by the elders, confirmed by the church. Did you note that in there? They came to a conclusion in the church not just the apostles, the church confirmed it. People ask, why do we do what we do? We really honestly, honestly, and I don't mean this pridefully, we honestly want to be able to do things the way the New Testament tells us to do it. So that's why we don't, we're elder-led, we're not elder-role. The elders come up with ideas, we present it to the church, but we want church confirmation. An idea may come from the church, from within the church, but you're going to bring it for elder confirmation. Does that make sense? There's a confirmation within the, the body when we come through this. So it happens. So they come up. This is a big, big decision. This is going to be a transforming. Boom. We know for thousands of years, right? Confirmed by the church. 
sent by Paul and Barnabas, but not just by Paul and Barnabas, but they're also going to send Silas and Judas, who are men who are well-known and probably were from which direction? The circumcision side. That's exactly right. So they could go and they could say, guys, we were there. We, we heard it all. And before I came here, I might have been on that side. But today I'm telling you, this is the side that I'm on. So there's guys from Jerusalem that came to validate what Paul and Barnabas, they were going to come back. Okay, Very, very important. Okay, And then finally, it was that Antioch received with rejoicing. They were excited about it. Now, the question would be, if the, would they be excited if what? If it had gone the other way. I don't know. We're not told that. That's not for us to know. But it should be, right? Even if it came back the other way, it should have been received with rejoicing. If you want God's will and not yours, if you want truth and not your pet peeve tradition, then whatever God declares, whatever God decides, you ought to rejoice in. Be anxious for how many things? Nothing. Oh, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but with all, with all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made unto God. Thanksgiving for all things? I mean, this is an awful moment with thanksgiving. Why? Because you know that God has allowed this through the sieve of his protection, that God is sovereign and he is in charge and that he loves you with an everlasting love. So doctrinally, whether you like it or you don't like it on certain things, you rejoice in him on it. So in the end, the questions, how do you resolve conflicts? Now, that's you individually, okay? Now, as an assembly, it comes back to us. And I think I have that as our, our question to consider as an assembly for at another time, okay? But we need to analyze that. Are we doing it properly? How would we do it? How should we do it, okay? But bring the application into your own house, into your own life. What do you do when there's conflict? How do you try to solve it? Do you seek to discern the will of God or to win the argument? I'm telling you, that I struggle with the pride of life just as well as everybody else. And there are times when I want to what? I want to win the argument. I forget that really what I want is truth. Because at that moment, I know I have truth. You get what? I mean, I wouldn't believe it. If I didn't believe it, it wouldn't be right. I'm only believing others right. Well, what happens when you've got two people who believe they're what? They're right. One of them probably isn't. Or probably, they're more than likely, maybe both of them aren't. Okay? And it's somewhere in between. But neither one of them want to give, right? And you want to what? You want to win the argument. Rather, we need to desire God's will. David. Can you click that? Because it's not happening. Thank you. Do you look to independent wise counsel for advice or to those who you know will agree with you? They went to Jerusalem. They honestly didn't know what the response was going to be. Now, Paul might have had an inkling because he'd already been there and you know, before. But honestly, in the end, they didn't know how this was going to play out. Neither side knew how it was going to play out. But I'm convinced because I don't read about any dissension immediately. Now, we're going to read about Judaizers in the chapters ahead that there were clearly some who didn't accept this. Okay? But as a whole, at this moment, we don't read about any battles going on. That the, the decision was received with rejoicing. Okay? So, do you look to others? 
who don't necessarily agree with you, or when you want wisdom, do you look for someone who agrees with you so that you'll get the answer you want? Are you adding anything for someone to be saved beyond what God has declared? That was the decision at that moment. You don't need anything beyond faith. And so what I didn't bring out with that, that verse 29 thing was you'll do well if you do these things. They weren't a requirement for salvation. Okay, big deal. They weren't a requirement. It's just this is wisdom. This is a very strong wisdom moment. If you're really a believer, you'd be re- this, this ought to be at least evident in your life. Are you trusting in your works or his grace? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for mercy and your, good, your goodness to us. We thank you for sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, Lord, and that you do this freely for us, and it's an amazing thing. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, that they would call upon your name, that they would come near to you, because you've already come near to them. We know that we can only come unless you draw, and so we rejoice in you for that. It's your gift to give us, not not ours to, to mandate. But Lord, I pray that as an assembly, you would give us wisdom as well. I pray for Chuck and David and Steve and myself that you would help us as elders in this assembly, Lord, to, to seek your face, to seek your counsel. And this week, Lord, as we, we look forward to this week of prayer and fasting coming up, Lord, that as an assembly, we would be seeking your face, Lord, that we would be setting ourselves apart for your purpose and your glory. Lord, that you would guide us, you would instruct us, you would teach us, you would lead us. Lord, that we would be able to be impactful into this community. Um, for your for your honor <clears throat> and that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.